You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Genesis 18, verse 1. Just kidding. Genesis 18, verse 1. We're going to read this in just a minute. It's a lengthy passage, so I want to get right into it this morning. If you're, uh, if you haven't been part of this series. Uh, we're in a series called The Lord Came Down. Long before uh, baby Jesus showed up uh, in a manger in Bethlehem, uh, long before the wise men came to see him in face to face, to see him in person uh, as a little toddler, uh, long before the Immaculate Conception, we, have, we were introduced to the physical appearance of God in the Old Testament. Those are called theophanies, or the appearance of Christ, which are called Christophanies in the Old Testament. And so today, the Lord's going to show up, and he's going to have two guests with him, two angels. <clears throat> and it's an unforgettable story that'll probably take me two to three weeks to cover. There's just so much here. I could probably preach a year on this, these next two chapters, but I'm gonna try to do it in two, maybe three. But we'll at least start today. And this is an undeniable, physical, visible appearance of God in the Old Testament, all right? And in a lot of these, lot of these passages, you'll see this phrase, the Lord came down. And that's where we take our, our title for our series. And if we need anything today in our nation, in our world and in our families. We need the Lord to come down. And he's already come down, all right? And he did all the work he needed to on the cross, but we need a fresh visit from him today. And so may God bless the reading of his word. These are the words of God. Uh, Genesis 18, verse one. And try to hang with me in this story. It's hard, but just, I think it, it's, a, it's a good flow and a true story. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. This is, he appeared, this is talking about Abraham. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to, to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, oh Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I uh, bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah. I remember he's still living in a tent. And he said, quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And then Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, this was several hours, right? So this isn't like some rushed little front porch visit. Verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, uh, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I think y'all know what that means. Uh, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, well, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, Lord, L-O-R-D, lower caps, meaning her husband, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a son now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. 
Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He's having a conversation with himself seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they... Uh, have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there's 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place uh, and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it uh, if I find 45 there. Now, this is where I, I, I start to believe that there, that there were car salesmen in the Old Testament. <laughs> Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He, he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I, uh, if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. Let me get my manager. <laughs> and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Faith Lester to come. Like when Faith are newer, little newer members, ask prayer for us this morning. Thank you, Faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that we can come together and worship you and hear your word. Let us take off now everything that hinders as we thank you for Pastor Went being a yielded vessel to you to deliver this message you have for us today. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as the Lord of their life and know you as the Prince of Peace and know you as a friend that sticks closer than a brother, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. May you go with us as we leave. Let us stay in your presence and in your word and go out and be a light to the world around us. May we each be little glimpses of Jesus to everyone we encounter. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Faith. Mm. Well, um, that was a lot of scripture. <laughs> and I know some of you clocked out about, especially you men, about three verses in, you're like, I need to cut the grass today. <laughs> All right? But it's too hot. So, 
Uh, I'm going to just summarize this again. God appears at Abraham and Sarah's uh, house in the form of a man with two angels accompanying him. Abraham preps this big feast for them, and the Lord basically reaffirms his covenant with Abraham. And then God's like, okay, it's going to be a stellar year for you, Abraham. You're going to, 12, about 12 months from now, Sarah's having a, a son, a boy. Uh, after he got through delivering that message uh, twice, <laughs> uh, all, all three of the heavenly hosts uh, are leaving the house and Abraham walks out with him. Kind of like we do in the south where you'll walk someone out to the car or you'll go out in the driveway in the country and you'll wave them down the road. That's what's happening right here, all right? And it's on that farewell walk for him to say goodbye that the Lord decides to share his plan for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says basically, hey, I'm gonna drop down to Sodom and Gomorrah and confirm this outcry that's come up before me of their sin. And uh, then it's of course clear that if the outcry is true, God's gonna destroy every, all of it. Uh, so Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah, and God listens to him and, say, and, and, and says, okay, if you find 10. It, it's a lot to take in, but the text is full of questions and it's full of contrast. And the first one, and the, really the one I want to discuss today, are all these, these wonderful spiritual nuggets that fall under the question, is this a theophany or an angel? These three men, is this three angels? And maybe one of them is a leader angel, like a Michael you know, or Gabriel or something like that. What's going on here? What proves that this is a theophany? And I believe in answering that question, we're gonna, there's so many rich truths in here. First is the name Yahweh. Genesis 18, verses 1 through 33. I won't read them all to you again, but verse 1, and the Lord appeared to him at the Oaks of Mamre. Uh, verse 10, the Lord said. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord. Verse 20, then the Lord. Verse 22, so the men returned uh, from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Verse 26, the Lord said. So three times in Genesis 18, in those first 15 verses, three more times in Genesis 15, uh, 16 to 33, when Abraham's interceding uh, for his brother Lot, uh, and then seven more times in Genesis 19, which we'll hope to get to next week, uh, verses 1 through 29. That's when Lot is spared from the destruction of Sodom. So 17 times we find the word Lord in its capitalized form. And if, if those of you that don't know this, uh, this is just a scholarly effort to translate the holy name of God that we know as Yahweh. And they say Yahweh, it didn't even have in the original language, didn't even have uh, vowels in it so that you couldn't even say it. it. It's almost like a breath. Yahweh. I mean, it's, it was such a holy name of God. That's when you see that capital version, you know, there's, there's three different versions of Lord in the Bible. There's the all lower caps. That's just a person. There's the capital L-O-R-D, Adonai, you know, meaning, but referring to Jesus and the Lord. But then when it's in all caps, it's referring to Yahweh. This is the God of heaven. This is the proper name of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Piperton Baptist Church. <laughs> and uh, so proof number one is that one of the the three men is referred to with the holy name of God, Yahweh, kind of undeniable. All right. Second, and this is mind boggling, but the Lord eats 
All right, Genesis 18, uh, verse 8. Then he took curds and milk and the calf uh, that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So what's the big deal about God eating? Okay, so he ate, big deal. Well, uh, and I'll just give you a spoiler alert. I actually think this is a Christophany personally. I can't prove that ex explicitly, but uh, I believe it's a pre-incarnation physical appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. So if we jump actually to the real incarnate, the, the incarnation in the New Testament, jump past the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you're going to find Jesus appearing to people. Luke 24 is one of those examples. Verse 36 it says, after, and this is all after Jesus had risen from the grave. As they were talking uh, about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, uh, it's I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still believed for, uh, disbelieved for joy and were marveling, that's a weird phrase, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? This is in the New Testament. This is Jesus we're talking about after the resurrection. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then jump over to Acts chapter 10. Uh, Peter says uh, in verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So why did Jesus eat? <laughs> in the New Testament. Why did he do it in the New Testament? After his resurrection. It was easy for him to eat as a God-man, but what about after the resurrection? Well, for starters, people are freaking out because they're seeing this, their God risen from the grave. So he's, he's calming down their nerves, right? He's letting them look at him and touch him, and then he eats. So one reason, I believe, just practical reason, uh, not the main reason, but one reason was to calm his people. Another reason was to prove he wasn't some inhabited carcass uh, or some man who had had a near-death experience, had swooned and, and come back to life. The Romans knew how to kill a man, all right? <laughs> they knew how to kill a guy. And uh, you, you, I don't have to go into a study of all that, but Jesus was establishing that he has a physical body after the resurrection. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones, he says. So Jesus clarifies misinterpretations of the resurrection. And, you, and this sounds like something, well, this isn't a big deal. Do you know that uh, scholars say the most dangerous threat to Christian theology in the first three centuries, and I believe it's still a threat today, uh, was the premise that Jesus only seemed human and was always a being of celestial substance, a form of God or an angel in human disguise. So the world either wants to have him as a man, simple, normal man that did great, cool stuff, or a spirit, but they don't want him both. 
All right? And there's a reason for that. Matter of fact, in the year um, 325 at the Council of Nicaea, the church declared that this line of thought was heresy. It was called Docetism. Uh, and more than 100 years later, it came back up at the Council of Chalcedon. So this was a big issue in the church. So meeting the risen Christ persuaded the disciples that he was not just some guy who had somehow managed to stagger away from crucifixion and torture and spend three days in a sealed tomb, right? Uh, this was, this was a, a God in the flesh. And they knew about ghosts and visions and, and hallucinations and uh, uh, altered states of being. But this experience was nothing like that. And so they knew how crazy they must have sounded, <laughs> those people who saw him. Uh, it says they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. You know, like, this is too good to be true. <laughs> this can't, this is insane. And so they were trying to tell everybody about this body, and this is great, that is and was as rightfully at home on earth as it is in heaven. That's Jesus. He's rightfully at home in physical form on this earth as he is in heaven. Isn't that crazy to think about? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We're not just waiting for the torture to stop. We're to have joyful life right here now. So, church historians say that at, the, at that time, Greek thought provided the most influential scholarly explanations of the world's workings, all right? So now we just rely on Google. But back then, it was the Greeks, right? But the Jesus event was a category buster. Attempts to squeeze Christ into the Greek-like category of divine in disguise are especially problematic. These tend not to explain, but to explain away the real human life that Jesus lived and the suffering of the crucifixion. If Christ is like a Greek God, then God remains removed and separate from the experience of human suffering. So churchless, theophany or Christophany, God ate with mankind in the Old Testament, not just in the New. And it's an example of the close, personal, intimate relationship he has with his people. Historians say across the ancient world, eating together was an expression of intimacy that expressed mutual honor and acceptance. And for first century Jews, sharing food implied sharing God's life. During his earthly life, Jesus gathered prostitutes, tax collectors, notorious sinners to his table where he offered the most intimate association with the most unlikely people. Welcome to Piper and Baptist Church. Can I take your order? I believe this characterizes our church, and I pray it always will. By sharing his table with these folks, Jesus visibly demonstrated his acceptance of them, and he did so before they repented. I'll be your friend, but you, you know, you got some stuff you got to fix first. That's not real friendship. That's not how God loves you. God help you, those of you that are holding out on forgiveness of people because you're waiting for them to show up with some righteousness. If you have the blood of Christ over your life because you've trusted in him and turned from your sins, you're never going to pay for your sins. God help us if we want someone else to pay for theirs when we don't want to do it. 
before they repented. By dining with these unlikely groups of people, he invited them into his community, the realm of God. And I believe it was the same with Abraham. Yahweh, Yahweh eats with us. What a blessed picture of the future, church. <laughs> Again, all Baptist potluck jokes and fried chicken jokes aside, all right, because Southern Baptists get made fun of a lot for our potlucks. I believe people who love Jesus love eating together. And I don't care if that's a gluten-free cracker or a big old fat juicy burger. There's joy in fellowship with God's people. We may have a smaller crowd. On Wednesday nights, we, we offer a, a home-style meal for five bucks for adults, three bucks for kids. We underwrite that cost for you so you can come up and join, be part of our prayer meeting. And it's a smaller group. It's an unplugged version of what we do on Sunday morning. But at 5.30, we eat together. And I love it. Miss Betty brings famous desserts that are usually gone before the end of the night. So you got to get them early. Some of you are selfish. I see you taking that. Two scoops at the very beginning. Hadn't even eaten your dinner yet, Tom. I mean, not to name any names. All right, but it's a sweet time of fellowship. Uh, just this past Friday, the, the young families, small group, uh, gathered uh, on Friday night to, to get together and share food together and, and chase kids with uh, soaked swim diapers around the pool. Uh, and then they decided that they're going to have childcare the next one. <laughs> lots of lots of lots of proofs. All right, the use of the name Yahweh, the fact that God eats, and third, and I'll end with this one. Prophecy. I had to group all these together to get done today. Prophecy, omniscience, and judgment. All right, and let me first say that there are angels who have been given prophecies in the Bible. God communicates to them prophecies and he has them delivered. Angels are messengers in scripture, all right? And so God, but they're not the ones prophesying. God gives them the prophecy and they take it. The Bible mentions Michael fighting a war against Satan in heaven. Gabriel tells Virgin Mary that she's going to have, uh, give birth to the Savior of the world. And the Bible describes different types of angels, uh, uh, cherubim and seraphim and so forth. Hebrews 1.14, speaking of angels, says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? We have a study that, uh, that Tracy has gone through with some of you ladies, and I, I want to go through it as a church on Wednesday nights at some point uh, to go in more depth about angels. But they're powerful. But they are not miraculous. Don't pray to angels. Psalm 72 verse 18 says, Blessed be the Lord, that's that capital version again, blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. <laughs> And in this passage, we see several attributes that are unique uh, with God alone. First, he prophesies in verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. He repeats this over in verse 14 <laughs> after Sarah laughs, right? So there's the prophecy. Then when Sarah laughed in the next room, verse 13 is really a tent, but the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Well, you think, well, because the walls were thin, God heard it. No. Verse 12 says she laughed to herself. So how did the Lord hear her and know the intentions of her heart? Because he's omniscient. Because he's all-knowing. 
He's more than an angel, right? And then, of course, we know vengeance is the Lord's and judgment. In Ezekiel 7, verse 9, uh, the Lord says, And by I will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. And he's going to next week. <laughs> he's going to judge Sodom. And though the two angels are with him, there's only one of the three visitors who prophesied. Only one who was all-knowing. Only one who justly rained down fire and sulfur on Sodom. Well, I'm going to put a pin in it, but I'll come back to this next week. But this theophany, and I believe it's a Christophany, is it's undeniable. Yahweh eats with sinful man. Yahweh prophesies what is to come. Yahweh alone holds all knowledge in his hands, and Yahweh alone holds judgment for those who won't relent. I've never been much on hellfire and brimstone preachers because I'm a rebel. Don't tell me what not to do. I'm going to do it, right? Don't tell me it can't be done. Uh, I believe in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's on every one of my little, little league trophies. Because we never won the big trophy, we always got the Christian Spirit Award. <laughs> but I, but I, so I believe, I believe anything can be done, so don't tell me. But I will say this, I don't like those kind of preachers, but I do have to say this. The Bible says that the fires of Sodom ended. Sodom and Gomorrah, the punishment ended. But the fires of hell will not end. And so I'd be uh, a coward of a pastor if I didn't tell you. There'll be a day if you've not surrendered your full soul, and I mean your full soul, not your wallet out of the water, not your keys out of the water, not your spouse out of the water. You know, when you get baptized, you don't get to hold anything out. All of it's his. And if he's not all yours and you're not all his, you're not fully surrendered him and repentant and turning from your sins, actively pursuing a righteous life, not to get into heaven, right? But because God demands sanctification, we'll look at that next week. If you're not that person, there will be a day where you will beg God for the mercy he showed to Sodom. They got mercy, friend, mercy. Hell won't have an ounce of God's mercy in it. Would you stand? Father God, I, I don't have to yell for your word to be true. When you, when Sarah tried to argue with you and say, I didn't say that, all you said is, yes, you did. What you say, not what Wentz says, not what our Sunday school teachers say, not what any Christian says, what you say comes to pass. You prophesy, it happens. You speak, and it is done. But that also goes for our sins. <laughs> maybe, maybe Friday, but Sunday's coming, and it has come, and you have risen from the grave. And hallelujah, I do not have to pay for my sins because Jesus himself interceded for me. And so I just say to this congregation today, if there's people here, Christ is actively interceding for you before the Father. If you call on the name of the Lord today, 
He will save you. If you repent of your sins, He will save you. Cry out to Him. I don't care if it's for fear or grace, <laughs> for mercy or protection. He's worth following. He's worth surrendering to. And he is good. He has been good to you and He will continue to be good to you. Call on His name. For those of you that are uh, just not fully committed to the church yet, you're kind of what we call pew potatoes. You like to sit and listen and soak it up, but you, you haven't started serving yet. I'm not trying to guilt you into serving. I'm trying to influence you into the joy of being part of the church family. I pray you would come at this time and join our church to serve. Whatever the decision is, I pray you obey the Lord in it. In Jesus' name, we ask God that you would do this, that you would save people today you would take us through this story of Abraham these next couple of weeks and let us let it resonate. Let us smell the sulfur and the fires that rain down on Sodom because we're living in it. Our nation today is no different than the sins and the wickedness of Sodom. Thousands of children missing in sex traffic, organ harvesting and corruption, wickedness, pornography, I can't even speak of some of the sins that are taking place that we know of that's not just spoken about that's bragged about publicly on every social network in the world and God we need you and we like Abraham are interceding for our families and our nations this morning and saying God don't do it find righteousness here find it in this church at Piperton and preserve us for your name's sake in Jesus name This has been sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.